And you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is where we'll be today. And as you're turning there, real quick, I just want to share with you a little bit of the conference that uh, Pastor Caleb and I will be heading down to. Uh, the conference is down in um, the really cold, barren world of Orlando, Florida. Um, we'll be suffering for the Lord down there. Uh, the, the type of the conference, it's a uh, conference, the name of it is called Stand Firm. Uh, their theme is the, the world around us is constantly changing, changing, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the theme of it says, we cannot afford to retreat in fear. Now is the time to stand with the unrelenting devotion of God's unchanging word. And that's going to be the theme of the conference down there in Orlando. It's with a ministry called Ligonier uh, Ministry, and uh, Caleb and I are really uh, looking forward to hearing uh, uh, rem and reminding us of that God's Word doesn't change and we can still faithfully proclaim the unchanging Word of God day in and day out in a world that is continually changing and trying to move Christianity to the fringes of society that we do not need to run in fear. So if you could be praying for us as we are down there, the, the conferences are great. The problem is they say too many good things and trying to remember the things that you come back. It's like asking someone after they've been studying a class for a whole year, so give me one thing you learned. And you're like, I learned so many things I don't even know how to tell you. Probably what you get out of every sermon, right, when someone says one thing. But, um, <laughs> but uh, just be praying for us as we travel down there and uh, are there uh, during the week. So with that being said, let's pray, and then we will dive into the passage here. Dearly Father, give us wisdom and understanding. Help us. We desperately need it. As we're reminded again, we need to stand firm in the unwavering truth of your word, that we do not need to run in fear, that we need to boldly proclaim the truth and let come what may. And so, dearly Father, help us not to just boldly proclaim it, but may it impact our lives and may we live it. In your name we pray. Amen. When a person introduces themselves and they say their name, Whatever it is, when they say, hi, I'm this, and then they say their name, what they say after, many times, is a good indication of what is going on in their mind, going on in their hearts. Do they talk about their job next? Do they say, I am this, and here's my job? Do they talk about a hobby? Uh, they may even say where they're from, depending on what type of accent you have. Sometimes when you say your name, you're like, it's clear you're not from around these parts, you know? And, and the, the change that comes when a person says, this is my name, they may even say who they're related to, to give you a reminder of, you know, this is, I'm so-and-so, and this is who I'm related to. But what they're trying to do, when someone says, introduces themselves, they're trying to do, whether on purpose or not, is give you what they believe will help you remember who they are or describing who they are. And so today, as we take this last look at this foundational verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, we are going to see the way God introduces himself and what he says, the first verb, if you want to say, in the Bible. We're going to see that God is the creator. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And so we're going to look at today the theme of God the Creator. We have looked at already that we have seen from the verse before that He's the Eternal One. God is eternal from the beginning. We have God, we see that He has so sovereignly decreed the beginning from the end. And now we're going to be introduced as God the Creator. 
The sovereign, eternal one, now he is the creator. Now, before we go any further, though, I'm just going to give you a little rundown of what's going to happen today. We are going to fly through the Bible of passage after passage after passage, all right? Some of these I may wait for you to get to. Some of them I may not. So I stuck them in your notes there, all right? If you want to be at them, like, get ready. It's coming for the next verse because what we're going to see is this God the creator is not just in Genesis 1-1. It's throughout the whole text. It's throughout the whole Bible. This theme of God the Creator and everything else about it is very crucial to us. But now, I want to take a moment, though, and remind ourselves of a passage of Scripture in Romans 1.18. And in Romans 1.18, Paul is talking about man's natural self. And in man's natural self, he says, man by his natural self wants to suppress the truth of God. That there is the truth of God, that he is the Creator, that his... Attributes are clearly seen. His eternal Godhead, and he walks through these things that are clear in front of us when we look at the world around us. And what man does is take what is natural and what is obvious and suppresses that into what is unnatural, and then they start worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And so man by nature, his sin nature, wants him to take what is true and to ignore it, to reject it, and even to suppress it. Now, by us that are saved by grace in this room... We still have this flesh, and we still have the spirit that are at war with one another, and the flesh is going to cause us to want to suppress certain things about God that we may not be too, let's, we would call it, happy to consider. Because when what we're going to see today by God's grace is that God is in control of all things. Why? Because He is the Creator. And this is something that we all like to say. We all like to hear, but then when the rubber meets the road, when it starts getting down into my daily ebb and flow of life, all of a sudden we're confronted with this. Because some of you may be saying when you hear this, God the Creator, that sounds great. I mean, I, I love hearing about He created the flowers, the trees, and the bumblebees, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and we'll sing all of those songs. But many times we don't pause and say, how does the Bible use this term, God the Creator? And what does the Bible say since He is the Creator how are we then to respond to God as the Creator? So let's start off by looking in Psalm 8. If you could turn with me to Psalm 8, we're going to see God the Creator and creation. In Psalm 8 here, which is the first point, if God is the Creator, how does He interact then with creation? And what are the, some things we can learn? We're just going to go down through the psalm here. David here, proclaiming, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He starts off in verse 1 here by literally saying, your majesty is not just in some parts of the earth. Your majesty is over the whole earth. If we look at the earth, we see the majesty and the glory of God. And he even goes on to say, the glory of God is seen on the earth, but it's also seen in the heavens. You have set your glory above the heavens. Look and see the beautiful handiwork of God, how majestic His name is and throughout all of the earth. The heavens are literally declaring the glory of God. And notice he moves from there and he says in verse 2, a totally different, this is a revolutionary way of doing things. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength. I mean, think through that. This is not, if someone is going to go, we're going to go to war. All right, let's go grab the nursery and off we go. All right? But what we're seeing here is because God and His majesty and glory are everywhere, His ways are not our ways. 
and we need to submit to them. He goes on to say, you've established strength because of your foes and still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. When I look at all of them, the psalmist says, it starts for me to realize real quick where man is. He doesn't say, when I look at the majesty of the world, I start to see how great I am. He's saying, when I look at the world around me, here's the question that comes to mind. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When he sees the majesty and glory of God, he starts to have a true understanding of himself. And now notice this, the psalmist doesn't just leave us in the, the gravel here to go, that's really where we came from. He says, where does your dignity come from? Not because you were made of some high-tech gravel. Notice what the text says. Yet you, this is God, has made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. The crowning of glory and honor comes not because the creature deserves it, because God has chosen to crown him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put things under his feet. All sheep, oxen, and the beasts of the field, of the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Who put all of creation underneath the image bearer of God, man, God did, because he has the authority to do it. Just a really side note here. Uh, long before we understood the Atlantic current and all these other things that move fish from one place to the next, notice God's word already knew that in verse 8. The paths of the sea. These are not things that, I mean, it took mankind a little bit to catch up with all of those things. But notice here then in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. It's our response when we see creation. When we look at the hand of God on all of these things, it first of all gives us a clear understanding of who we are. Then it gives us a clear understanding of being made in the image of God, that he's given us dominion over all of these things. And when we look at it all, praise and honor and glory is to him and him alone. Turn with me again. Well, I don't know if you're there yet, but turn with me to Revelation 4.11. Because I think we really need to pause on this, because there is so much we as, a, as believers in God, those of us in this room that know Christ, we need to pause here. Revelation 4.11. In Revelation 4.11, we see the 24 elders around the throne of God proclaiming the glory of God. And it says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why is He worthy of glory, honor, and power? The answer is, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's the will of God that he has created things the way he has created them. So I'm going to ask you some rhetorical questions, and the answer is going to be pretty obvious when we're done. We need to look at creation, and I don't think, sadly, we do this well enough. In our busy days, when we spend more time looking down like this on a phone and less time looking at the creative world all around us, we miss so many aspects of who God is. So let me just ask some questions. Let's look at the earth. Why is two-thirds of the earth covered with water and only one-third livable by, by man? Why is so much land unfit for farming? Why are there deserts? Why are there ice fields? Why are there seasonal changes in one area and other areas only rain and then no rain? Why are some lands filled with earthquakes and other lands free from them? And the answer we have from Scripture, and Scripture thunders, is because it pleased the Lord 
to do so. Continue moving on, not even just the earth. What about the animal world? Why are there so many variety of animals? Why are some fit to eat and others not? Why are some beautiful in colors? Why are some incredibly colorful and others dull? Why some used for work and others allowed to roam free? Why some fast? Why some slow? And the answer we have is because it pleased the Creator to do so. Let's look at the vegetable world. Why do roses have thorns and other flowers do not? Why are some wonderful and smell great and others actually reek? Why do some trees bear fruit and others do not? Why do some give sap and others do not? Why are some poisoned when we touch and others not? Why are there annuals and why are there perennials? And the answer is because it pleased the Lord to do so. Now, if you think that maybe Tim has just gone off his rocker, I want you to turn to Psalm 135. And in Psalm 135, the psalmist here again pens these words, and they are powerful, and they thunder from heaven to the created world around us. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does where? In heaven and on earth, in the sea and all of its depths. Whatever the Lord pleases, what does He do? He does it. God's authority over the creative world is, is the sheer fact that He created it. It gives Him the right to tell the created world what to do and even make it do what He wants. I want to be clear on this real quick because we're going to go to Jonah and Jonah's just going to slam it one thing after another here. God's authority over the created world, and the reason why His authority over the created world is literally because He created it, gives Him the right to tell it what to do, when to do it, how to do it, when not to do it, and when to start and stop doing it. All right, turn your Bibles to Jonah. Too many times we go to the book of Jonah, and all we see is a fish and a whale and all sorts of other things like that, and we miss God showing His un believable sovereign power over the world here. So Jonah 1, we're just going to fly through here. Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. Remember, Jonah's told to go to Nineveh. Jonah is rebelling against God here, and here's what God does. Look at verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. We have the sea, and what does God do? He grabs this great wind because he is sovereign over the wind, and what does he do? Literally throws it upon the sea. Now, as the ship is being tossed to and fro, in verse 7 here, they decide, let's cast lots to who's, find out who's responsible for this. And again, there is no random event that happens, because even in the casting of lots, which they think are random, what do we find out? It falls directly on Jonah. So even the lots in a tossed-about sea, as they tumble all over the boat, are falling exactly to where God wanted them to fall on Jonah. Not only that, when they throw Jonah in the sea in Jonah 1.15... The sea stops immediately when Jonah lands in the water. The storm that was there now ceases. Not only that, in Jonah 1.17, well, a phenomenal verse, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. We literally have the Lord saying, you fish are going to swallow this Jonah, and I'm appointing you to do it, and what does the fish do? It sits there and meditates for a while if it's going to rebel against its creator. No, the fish does what? 
swallows Jonah. And not only that, in Jonah 2.10, the Lord speaks to the fish, and what does the fish do? Throws up. Even the throwing up of the fish is commanded by God. The fish says, I no longer am going to have my cargo, which you appointed me to carry. I'm going to vomit it on dry land. And then Jonah continues on in Jonah 4 here. In Jonah 4, 6. Jonah's sitting out overlooking the town of Nineveh. And in Jonah 4, 6, the Lord did what? Appointed a plant and it came up over Jonah that would give him shade. And Jonah's really excited about that. And in verse 7, when dawn came the next day, the Lord appointed a worm to attack the plant that he appointed. All right, what do we see here? The sovereign God in control of all things, even the growing of a plant to the worm that's going to eat it. And not only once the worm eats it, in Jonah 4, 8, we see in the, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. God's appointing after appointing after appointing after appointing creation. He tells creation what to do, and it does it. Just in case if you're wondering, maybe it's just the book of Jonah that talks about this. Remember Mark 4, 35 through 41, Jesus is in the boat with his disciples, and every, the, the storm has broken loose uh, over all of the Sea of Galilee. And what does Jesus do? He stands up, and he speaks to the wind, and what does the wind do? It obeys, and immediately the storm ceased. Go back to the Old Testament in Exodus 14.21 where Moses is standing in front of the Red Sea and Moses lifts up his, his hands and what does God do? He brings the wind down and divides the water. God brings this wind about. By the way, when I was preparing for this, it was hard to what passages to leave out than it was to put in, all right? Now we even go down to showing God is not even relying upon creation. And I, I was listening to a sermon totally on something totally different, and this guy brought up this point. Remember when Moses is standing before the burning bush in Exodus 3. There's something important about the bush that is not like every other fire. The bush is not consumed. Why? The point we're trying to there is God is not relying on His creation for His existence because every fire is re re reliant on fuel. But what do we see here? The flame of God that is an all-consuming fire is not relying on the bush for its own source of power. God has power within Himself, not reliant on any created thing that we see when the fire is burning. The great I Am, the always present existing one, does not need wood to keep the fire of His self going. The bush is not consumed. Why? Because the bush is not needed to have for the fire. The fire is pure and holy and all-powerful in and of itself. We continue on in this. In Matthew 17, 24-27, there was a group of religious leaders that were complaining to the Creator of the universe that He was not paying tithe to the Romans, as if the Romans own the world, right? The Creator God does. And we see these people coming in, they're saying, he's not paying his tax. Like, why would the Creator ever need to pay tax? He is literally what? Created all things. And Jesus says to his disciple, Peter, hey, listen, let me, we're going to pay this tax. Since I am sovereign over all things, go down, and I will, you will sovereignly throw a fish line out into the water, and that fish you're going to catch is going to have a coin in it. Come back and bring it to these guys. Peter goes down, and he fishes, gets a... Fish, he's, the first fish he catches has a coin in it, and he brings it to the officials. And you want to go, wake up! The Creator does not need to pay the Romans for the authority that He has given them. 
Because he is sovereign over all of these things, even sovereign to the fishing line, to the fish that swallowed the coin, and all things. Not only that, in Luke 4.40, when they bring all of the people to him, we see Jesus' power over disease as well. All of these things. And you could go one after another, after another, after another. Remember when John the Baptist is wrestling when he's in jail after he's been in j- imprisoned and, they, and his disciples come to Jesus and say, are you really the Messiah or not? Because why is our leader in jail? And what is John the Baptist, what is he told by Jesus? Are you seeing God's power over the blind, the deaf, the mute, and all of these things? This is happening because God the Creator is here. God the sustainer, the giver of all life is here, and because he is the creator of all things, he has the authority to tell all things what to do. Point number two, God the creator, we're going to see he is the creator and former of life. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 here is a phenomenal psalm. And in Psalm 139 here, the psalmist asks a bunch of questions, and he answers them as well. He says, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. You know me because you are the Creator. Verse 4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. Even before I say what I'm going to say, you already know what I'm going to say. Verse 5, you've hemmed me in behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. And as if he breathes now, and he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain it. Meaning, you know me better than I even know myself. Before I even speak a word, you know what it is. Why? Because you have created me. We'll see his argument coming. And so he says, where can I run from your spear? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, so meaning like as far away as I possibly can, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, the thing that I think the darkness is going to cover me, what does he say? That is light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light with you. Even in the darkest regions of this world, even this, we cannot run from His presence because even the dark is light to God. 1956. I was not alive at that time. But if you were, you would have known that that was when they invented the ultrasound. Because previously before that time, what happened inside the mother's womb was dark to us. We knew that Certain things happen and you get a baby, but we don't know all of the things that are moving in in there. Previously, until the ultrasound came, what happened? The womb was off limits to the human eye. Yet even the most secret things, the Creator is involved. Let's continue to keep reading. For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed from me, 
when there was yet none of them. Pause there for a second. What is dark to the human eye is light to God. Even before He formed you, the Creator knew you. And the days that were written long before. Since the Creator formed you, knit you together in the womb, He has the authority over each human being. Turn with me please to Exodus 4. Because the Creator knit you together in the womb and knew you before you even knew yourself, He has the authority over you. Romans 4, I mean Romans, Exodus, like I said, 4, 10, and 11. Give you a little context here. Moses most likely had some type of speech impediment, whether he stuttered, whether whatever, he had some type of issue. We read this in verse 10, And Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. He's saying, I'm not the greatest public speaker of all time. Um, I stutter, I struggle with this. And he says, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, if he was saying that to any other human being, we would say, boy, that's really sad, and I'm sorry that that's what happened. What does God say to him? He doesn't say, oh, thank you for the excuse. He doesn't say, oh, I'll look for someone else. Exodus 4.11. The Lord said to him, I love when God asks questions. Who has made man's mouth? The answer, God. Who makes him mute? The answer, God. Who makes him deaf? God. Who makes him see? God. Who makes man blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Pause for a second there. I mean, it's nice to sit there and look at flowers that have thorns that smell and don't. But then all of a sudden, when you have a child in your arms that is mute, or blind, or one of these, and our hearts are crying, the answer is, who made him that way? God. I mean, that's easy to say when you're looking at a flower, isn't it? It's easy to say when you're looking at a, a tree that doesn't produce whatever you want it to do, but now all of a sudden when you have a baby here in your hands and you're looking at it, the biblical answer to that is, who made them that way? God. Who intimately formed them in the womb that way? God. Do we submit to the sovereign hand of God in just the things we like or in all things? Because Romans 9.21 says, Has the powder not the right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honor for use and another for dishonorable use? Does not the potter have the power over the clay? And it's easy when the clay is inanimate objects like birds and all these other things, Right? but it's even more challenging when it comes to our own lives. Where he looks at Mary and he says, you have been chosen to carry the Son of God. And Mary says, I am your servant. I want you to turn here real quick to Exodus 9. Flip over to Exodus 9 here. And these are passages of Scripture that we just stand in awe of. 
So in Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. The Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews. Which is great, because what did God say he was going to do? Moses, you're going to say what I'm telling you to say. And he says, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on yourself and your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is none other like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. And notice what he says here in verse 16. For this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. Why was Pharaoh born and raised to power? So that the glory of God would be proclaimed through all the earth. I mean, pause and think through that for a moment. Pharaoh's very purpose on earth was to rebel against Almighty God that God's glory would be seen throughout all the earth. Turn with me again to, let's go to another passage, John. John chapter 9. Not only was Pharaoh done for that very purpose, but let's go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. In verse 1 here, there's a blind man. He was blind from birth. Who made him blind from birth? God. And the question in front of them is, how did this person become blind? And so the disciples are asking, which would be a very common thing at that time, because especially too with some of, sadly, some of the diseases that were transmitted during those days and the, the health of that, sometimes kids could be born blind because of a, the, let's just call it the low morality of their parents and some of those things as a child was leaving. The mother's womb could pick up on these things and they asked the question, was his parents sinning when he was blind? Jesus answers, and he says, It was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. Notice real quick what he's saying is, he's saying that, listen, the reason why this boy was born blind from birth and lived all the way till now to be born blind was so that I would heal him right now and God would get the glory. I mean, we need to pause and think through that because in our mind we go, unfair. Completely unfair that this guy would have to be blind from birth all the way until now. But what are we saying to the Creator? You did not know what you were doing. You messed up. Uh, the only way for a believer to handle, I mean, try not to go too personal here, diagnosis is, right? You, have a, you now have a grandchild who has epilepsy. Are we sitting there going, God, you don't know what you're doing, right? No, the only answer that we have in all of this is that God is on his throne, the creator of heaven and earth, and he is doing what he pleases in the affairs of man. And our response is to humbly submit to the creator and say, you are doing what is right. Help me to submit to your authority. But one of the beautiful things is this, going back to even what the psalmist is saying, that we have been knit together by God Himself. Not only are human beings formed by God, they are made in His image. 
This is why when we truly understand the Creator has made a creature in His image, when we fully understand that, we know why it is very clear that in the Ten Commandments, murder, the destruction of the image bearer of God is put in there. When you murder, you will be killed as well because you are destroying the very image of God Himself that He has placed here on earth. That, when we fully understand that God has created man in his own image, it destroys any form of racism for any follower of God because every single human being that has ever lived is an image bearer of God and God Almighty. It also springs forth, if we understand this, for evangelism to the world because what do we have all over the world? Image bearers of God who do not know that they are image bearers of God and are not giving praise to the God who they image. And we are called to say, look to Christ and Christ alone for it. This is the beautiful thing because I want to show you how this. So let's go real quick to Acts chapter 17 and look how Paul, when he's talking to the, the elites of his day in Athens there, and in Acts 17, let's look at how Paul even walks through God the Creator. We're going to start in Acts 17. Let's start at verse uh, 24. I'll give you a little background. Uh, he's talking to the men of Athens, and they have a statue that is to the unknown God, just in case if they miss someone. We're just going to put to the one we, if we've missed. Sorry, you're counted for as well. And Paul sees this as a phenomenal opportunity to proclaim who God is. And how does he go about it, I think, is a great example for us, how we are to go about proclaiming the glory of God and evangelism. In verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Why does he not live in a temple made by man? Because literally he is the creator. This whole world is his temple. He doesn't, we don't have to build a temple for God to, for Him to live in because He is the Creator of all things. This is what Paul is stating here. He goes right at it. He is God, the Creator of all things. He is Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. And notice in verse 25, He is not served by human hands as though He needed anything. There is no need, when we say serve God and things like that in the Bible, it is not because God is up there going, I really need you to do this because I can't. All right? He didn't say to Peter, hey Peter, go get a side job so you can get a coin. He just says, I'm creator of heaven and earth, go fishing and you're going to catch a fish that's got a coin in it. And not only that, when Peter, I mean just think of all creation. When Peter and the disciples are out on the boat and they can't catch fish, and he tells them, throw it on the other side, what does God do? The fish are there. And what we're trying to see is God is a creator of heaven and earth. He does not need us in any way, shape, or form. The sheer fact that he chooses to use us is for his glory and his glory alone. Because why is he not served by man? Because what does he do? He gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Think through that for a moment. You will not have one breath that God has not given to you. When God says it is time to go home, that last breath will be your last breath. You cannot speed up your going, nor can you slow down your going. When it is your final day to go, it is your day to go, and we are to serve Him faithfully until that day comes. Boldly until that day comes, knowing that we can go into hard places, we can have hard conversations, because why? God is the sustainer and giver of life. And notice this, the sovereign king is what he talks about next. And he made from one man, Adam, 
every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. And notice what he did. So he's created from Adam, one man, and they're going to live on the earth. And notice he doesn't just say, hey, go have fun, live wherever you want. What has God even done in his sovereignty? Appointed their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Literally, the nations are where they are today because God appointed them to be where they are today. And the time that they are today, God has placed them in that spot. We need to pause and think through this. Because many times we think that there is just random things happening all over our world. That is, if God was not on His throne the day that Russia decided to do whatever they're trying to do in Ukraine, right? And then everybody was going to do this thing and that thing, and all of the boundaries we say God has appointed them, and they have their lot and where they are. And the beautiful thing is, as He's going right after them, this God is intimately involved with His creative world. And look at verse 27 that they should seek God and hope that they may feel their way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. Literally saying, the Creator God is not off in His throne somewhere, not involved with humanity. He is near and He can be found. Why? Verse 28, because in Him we live and we move and we have our being. He is literally what sustains us, what holds us, what keeps us. We do not have any breath that He has not given us. We do not live in this world apart from God. He is sovereign over all. He is the sustainer of all things. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Why? Because then he would be like his creation. But he is not his creation. He is the creator above all things. That is why one of the first commandments is do not try to make anything grave an image of me. Why? Because I'm not that. I am far above my created world. And what is our response? Verse 30. The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now what does he do? He commands all people everywhere to feel better about themselves, right? No. Repent. And then verse 31, only a sovereign God over all things could pen this next because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man he has appointed. And we're going to find out who that man is in a second here. And of this he has given assurance of all things by raising him from the dead. Who is that man he has appointed? Jesus Christ himself. There is a day coming that has been fixed. How do we know that it has been fixed? What did we learn last week, hopefully? That God has decreed the beginning from the end. And that end is what? Fixed. Do we know that day? No, no man knows the time or the hour. But God does. And it is fixed and that day is coming. We are moving towards that fixed day. And what is our call now as we move towards that fixed day to call the world around us to open your eyes and see God the Creator's hand is on everything. And what are we as believers to do as we have now had these facts revealed to us? First of all, I would encourage you, uh, literally, you can't even get through a book of the Bible without seeing the appeal back to God the Creator and what He is doing. All right, And why He has the right to say, Everything. I mean, it is just every page of Scripture is just dripping with this over and over and over again. I mean, Jesus can't even get through a sermon, which we're going to see here in a second, without bringing this up. All right, get to Matthew chapter 6 here. So I'm ending with a, just a passage of Scripture of what did we learn today. Because, again, as we always like to say, if Jesus said it, let's just read what he had to say. You don't need to hear Tim's 
breaking down on this. So this passage here that we're going to see is literally Jesus is writing, is uh, giving a sermon. And in the middle of the sermon here, he's going to say, because I'm the creator, here's how you are to live. Because of my creating of all things, here is how the believer is supposed to live. So I will read this and then we're just going to pray. I'm not going to say anything more than the last word, trouble. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are, your, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Dearly Father, implant these words deep into our heart. May we realize that you are sovereign over all. The sovereign creator. To you be the glory. To you be the praise. In your name we pray. Amen.